ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Heel Turn, our live weekly wrestling show and the official podcast of ProWrestling.Cool. It's not just cool, it's not cool. We are here to talk about this past week in wrestling, and boy, was it a week. Because we gotta talk about All In, which happened this past weekend. We gotta talk about West Coast Wishes, also happened this past weekend. Then of course we got Raw, we got SmackDown Live, NXT, and the beginning of the Mayon Classic. Because if you're tuned in live, you'll notice we're an hour later because of that. But I'm your host, Owen, and we're streaming live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash ozoneonline. So if you're in the live chat, feel free to leave comments and questions and let me know if I forgot something or if something's gone wrong, and I'll take care of it. And also, we're on Twitter at The Heel Turn. So, everyone, this is a crazy week. So, can't really get into a whole lot of banter at the top of the show because there's so much to cover. So let's just jump into the news. The news. That's the new song. Uh, the biggest news is that my life is going to be a living hell, even more so coming up. Because... The Mixed Match Challenge is returning to Facebook Watch on September 18th. Wow. As you know, as if it wasn't enough that I have to cover the uh, the Mayhem Classic, along with Raw and SmackDown and NXT, but just add another show to it. Why not? Fortunately, we don't cover 205 Live because nothing really happens there. But that's another show that I'm with to cover, but at least it's a fun show. Like, if you watched any of it last season, which was earlier this year, there was, it was a lot of fun. It's a little different vibe to it with the wrestlers kind of, like, chatting it to each at each other more during the matches and doing goofy spots. So, it's enjoyable, at least. But this year, they're doing two matches a show instead of one, so... And also, it's a, a round-robin style. We're gonna, there's there's going to be a lot of wrestling. It's going to go for a while. But let me tell you the teams that are confirmed for the, the mix. See, here we go. They bring this back, and I still can't say it properly. The MMC. Returning teams are Asuka and The Miz, a.k.a. Asuka, the winners of last last season. I keep trying to say last year, but it was earlier this year. Uh, Team Little Big, which is Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss, which were my favorites. Uh, Jimmy Uso and Naomi. And Rusev and Lana, which makes sense because they're married couples. Then we move over to the new teams. And that's where things get good. We have R-Truth and Carmella are doing incredible things over on SmackDown that we'll talk about later. AJ Styles and Charlotte Flair, the two two main champions of SmackDown Live. Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox, which will be a fun chemistry there with Mahal's whole, you know, inner peace mumbo jumbo and Alicia Fox being an insane person. And no, oh, I forgot the uh, Sasha Banks and uh, Bobby Lashley. 
I guess. And then the last team is Kevin Owens and Natalia. Because Canada. Either way, this begins September 18th. It's going to follow SmackDown. It's going to push 205 Live back again. and Whatever. It'll be fun. Just means I have more work to do every week. Which, since I do the show solo now, all the all all the pressure. And uh, the other bit of news we have is that the Hell in a Cell poster was posted online. And if you haven't seen it, boy, is it something! It's a uh, Roman Reigns as a devil. And Ron Strowman behind him is like a winged demon thing with a tongue. It's it's weird. Look it up. It and it's very real, and it's kind of amazing. It kind of harkens back to the uh, CM Punk Hell in a Cell poster where he was a a devil man, but they went even crazier this time. So it's fun. Hell in a Cell is going to be a whatever pay per view. Because they can't figure out what they're promoting since they're promoting Hell in a Cell and the show at uh, in Australia. So we'll we'll see. Uh, that's and that's it. That's I believe that's all it I have for the news. If anyone has anything that I missed, please let me know, and I will get to it. So let's talk about the shows that happened on Saturday. Because September 1st was something, a, a huge independent pay-per-view. One that everyone was excited about. I, of course, am talking about West Coast Wishes. That's right, League of Heels put on another show where... It was in Seattle, once again, for the coincide with PAX West. Um, and it, we had three matches, and it was excellent, as always. Full disclosure that I do also work for League of Heels. So, I may be a little biased, but it was a really good show. And if you missed it, it's on YouTube. And it's probably in the archives on on uh, twitch.tv slash PAX2. So what we have is the first match between Justine Trudeau and Johnny Casanova. And what's special about this is that two wishes from League of Heels champion the Elysee were on the line. And it was played in a bad video game. Cool. I believe it was Wrestling Revolution 3D or something. It's don't look it up. It's it's not good. But yeah, they 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 attempted to play this video game on stage, and Johnny Cash never got himself disqualified because there was a big prompt that said "Don't do it" when he had a weapon, and he did it anyway. So therefore, Justine Trudeau won by disqualification and was granted two wishes. Unfortunately, she had to go do other things at PAX, so she was only there to say one of her wishes. 
which is that because there was no PAX Rumble at PAX West, she was have a PAX Rumble at PAX East in Boston. So that wish is granted. So next March slash April, there will be another PAX Rumble. 30 competitors fighting for a title shot. And the best part is, I will be in attendance. So there is a .01% chance that they could call upon me to enter and I could, I could, I could win. I could win the title shot. Yeah. I, I have an N64 around here somewhere. I can learn how to play WrestleMania 2000. Can't be that hard. So, there you go. PAX Rumble coming to PAX East next year. Then the second match was an iQuip match, which I'll take credit for. I I named it that. I I don't know why they didn't name it an iQuip match, but I did. Because they played Quiplash 2 with seven competitors, and what was on the line was a championship that was not named before the match. And anyone could have won this because it's Quiplash, and there was audience voting from the live audience in the crowd and also on Twitch. But the person who pulled it out was Felix Kramer. They are they're an awesome person. So I'm real happy for them to win the championship, to which uh, Pat Bear, who was in the Bear Cave, came over and revealed that it was, in fact, a green like karate belt. Because, of course, it is the Jeff Green belt. I I don't even know if it's called a championship. It's just a Jeff Green belt. I guess it can be defended. I'm not sure. But, you know, shout-outs to Jeff Green. May he uh, rest in peace on his couch somewhere. Because he's not dead. He just doesn't come to PAX anymore. Then we got on to the main event. And there was a story going along, going throughout the show of D-Leazy choosing his own opponent to defend his championship. And, wouldn't you know, he picks his run GFB co-member, Dr. Tracksuit. Because, you know, easy, easy title defense, just slide down, get the pin, he gets, he gets a, a pax off. However... Apparently, Dr. Tracksuit's been going through some financial trouble. And his submarine got, like, repoed or stolen. I'm not sure which. His Tesla's gone. I Number one, I don't know how he got these things. And number two, I don't know how he lost them. Wasn't quite clear. But either way, Dr. Tracksuit, instead of lying down... Said he was going to win the belt, and which he ended up doing because they were playing that shitty wrestling game again. He be- he beat the Lazy and uh, became the League of Hills champion, and he's going to melt the belt down. And I don't know what I don't know where that plan goes from there. He just mentioned melting it down, which wouldn't be the first time that's happened because that that happened before with uh, Austin Walker. But yeah, then Johnny Cashnova showed up again and challenged uh, Dr. Tracksuit to a title match 
at PAX East because apparently he was the guy who stole the stuff. I get. I I don't. It's weird. Wrestling's weird. League of Heels is weird, but it's awesome, and you should watch if you enjoy wrestling. So there you go. That's League of Heels West Coast Wishes. It was at PAX West. It'll be on YouTube as well as on the archive at twitch.tv slash PAX2. I'm sure if you just follow at League of Heels on Twitter, they'll point you in the right direction. But what's also exciting is that at the end of the show, they announced that the next show they're doing is called Everyone Can Wrestle and will be held at PAX Unplugged, which is in Philadelphia. Interesting. Who, who, who do we know that's from Philadelphia and is works with League of Heels and could possibly have like a larger involvement? I'm not sure. All I know is that it's going to be a great show and some actual independent wrestlers may be there. Who knows? More details to come. It's in at the end of November slash beginning of December. Exciting stuff. So that's it for West Coast Wishes. That show was excellent, but was also excellent on September 1st, was All In, which is the show that you guys really want me to talk about. Because I ordered that on traditional pay-per-view, which is a weird thing to do in 2018. It also was like 45 bucks. It was very expensive. But I did it. Because I want to support independent wrestling, and I believed in this show and Young Bucks and Cody, and damn it if they didn't pull it off. The production quality was A+. Uh, all the staging, the, the the lighting rig, the way they handled the whole venue, and, and the broadcast were just out of this world. Not the greatest in the world, but for an independent show and people who don't have experience with this kind of thing, really good. Really, really good. But what wasn't good is that the first zero hour, which was kind of the pre-show, aired exclusively on WGN America, which I didn't get in HD, so it was real crappy looking. And they had some interviews, and the microphones were bad. Alright, the pay-per-view version was high quality, the first hour on WG in America, not so much. But it did have some good in-ring action because the first match was SCU, or SoCal Uncensored, which is Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky taking on the Briscoe Brothers. And it was just a hot opening match. The SCU came out and mentioned that Chicago is the worst town they've ever been in because, of course it is. And they just put on a, uh, not, and it's not like a show stealing match, but a really good, like, act, all out action match to just get the crowd pumped up for the rest of the show. And they delivered, uh, and SoCal Uncensored picked up the win because they were the popular ones and the ones that are heavily featured on being the elite. Then we had. The over-budget Battle Royal 
to determine who was going to face the ROH, uh, ROH champion, Jay Lethal, later on in the night. And there were a lot of cool names in there. Cheeseburger was there. Moose was there. Uh, Hurricane Helms was there. Bully Ray was there and murdered Chico's cousin before the match even started. There were just a whole ton of people in there. Uh, you can look at the full list. But what was great about this Battle Royal is that everyone was given a spot and got to be highlighted before being eliminated. It wasn't just a bunch of random bodies in there. And, oh, I didn't even notice that person got eliminated. Every elimination mattered. Every person in the match mattered. High quality stuff. But, the end came down to Colt Cabana, the, the hometown hero of Chicago, against Bully Ray, this, this asshole, who ended up eliminating Colt and thinking he won the Battle Royal, except, whoopsies, Chico was never elim- Chico's cousin was never eliminated, and he took off his mask, and oh shit, it's Flip Gordon, the guy who couldn't get booked on the show. And he threw Bully Ray out, and he ended up winning the Battle Royal and getting booked onto the show. Excellent stuff. Great payoff to that storyline. It is one of the best Battle Royals I have seen. Rural Rumbles do not count. So then we get on to the main card. And the first match was Matt Cross and MJF. Who, this was an unadvertised match. And I'm not really that familiar with both men. But it was, it was good. I was, imp- I was impressed with Matt Cross. That guy seems like a really good wrestler. And he was the one to pick up the win. There's like nothing really big to point out in this match. Then we had a match I was very interested in between Stephen Amell and Christopher Daniels. Which, you know, on paper, you think probably wouldn't work because it's an actor being carried around by, you know, Christopher Daniels, who's who's a good wrestler, but not like a superstar. I, I know I'm going to get a bunch of angry people telling me that I'm wrong, but whatever. Point is, they... Bu- also, should I mention that uh, you know, Jerry Lynn was the freaking referee, the whole reference show? How cool was that? That added a little something extra to the match. But the whole structure of this match was Christopher Daniels kind of walking Stephen Amell through the match. But Amell also like doing some pretty good stuff, like some actual wrestling, some, some semi-dangerous spots, including... A really good one where Christopher Daniels kind of flopped himself onto a table on the outside. And Amel on the top rope thought, oh, easy, I could just jump through him. Except Daniels obviously rolled on there himself. So he was totally fine and got out of the way. And Amel ate it. It was really cool, though, that he did that spot. But uh, fortunately, because... Christopher Daniels is an actual professional wrestler and not an actor. He was the one that picked up the win. And then they both shook hands afterward because mutual respect. It was it was really good. I was really blown away by how well Amel did. Then we had a four-corner survival match. 
between Tessa Blanchard, Chelsea Green, Madison Rain, and Britt Baker. The important things to point out with the entrances is that Britt Baker came out to Adam Cole's old entrance theme from Ring of Honor. Because they're they're going out, they're dating. And uh, Tessa Blanchard had Tully Blanchard and uh, Magnum TA on on the uh, entranceway, and she hugged them both before getting in the ring. Chelsea Green, if you don't know, is uh, the girlfriend of Zack Ryder, and also has a is known as the hot mess, and has kind of like a split personality thing going on. It played into the match early, but then she kind of just lost it because you know wrestling. And Madison Rain is competing in the Mae Young Classic and also is, you know, a for, former big deal in Impact, so good good, good on her. This match was pretty sweet. It was the only women's match on the show, but my problem is the ending. Because the match ended... Kind of like uh, Tessa Blanchard had a... I forget who she had in the pinfall. And it looked like someone was going to break it up, but they were too slow and it didn't seem like a big deal. It kind of just ended. Like the referee just got his hand down before the person could break it up and count three and that was it. Real awkward finish, but... Aside from that, all all four women brought it. There was no real lulls in the action and it was excellent. I don't know why it's called a four-quarter survival match, because it wasn't an elimination of any style. But, whatever. They can't call it a fatal four-way, because WWE. Then, surprisingly not at the top of the card, Nick Aldis defended his NWA World's Heavyweight Championship against Cody. They've been piping this for the longest time. This is... Cody's dad's title. They did the whole 10 pounds of gold series with NWA about hyping this match up. And when uh, Cody came out with an entourage of Brandy Rhodes, DDP, Glacier, and Tommy Dreamer. Like, also, also, Farrah was there. They, they, they don't list it here, but Farrah was also there and behaved himself. And then Nick Aldis had his own entourage of a bunch of assholes being Jeff Jarrett, Samuel Saul, uh, Samuel Shaw, Sean Devari, and uh, Tim Storm. It's just a bunch of assholes. And of course we needed uh, Shaw there to remind us of the whole terrible storyline and impact. We don't need to go into that. that. That's This is a good show. What was interesting about this match is that it was a very old-school style match. Except for the part where Cody jumped to the outside and ate a forearm and looked like he was actually concussed. I'm not going to say it looked like because I feel like this may have been planned. But kind of not. I mean, it was planned because he bladed afterward. which Typical Dusty move and oh god, it was so much blood. But it seemed like uh, Davari and DDP came out to buy time for him to recover and did like a diamond cutter spot in the ring. Just just 
because I feel like that couldn't have been planned because it was kind of janky. But yeah. And totally expected finish. Cody Rhodes hit a schoolboy and I like a schoolboy pin, similar to SummerSlam 92, and uh, picked up the win. He's, he's the champion. He got his dad's belt. Crowd's fucking stoked, as they should be. And the NWA World Heavyweight Championship matters again in 2018, and that's crazy. So I'm excited to see where this goes from here with uh, Cody having that belt. Because I believe NWA has a partnership with Ring of Honor. Then we go for this big touching moment. We totally flipped the script, and now it's Hangman Page against Joey Janela in a Chicago street fight. Because the whole story is that Hangman Page murdered Joey Ryan, and now he has to kill another Joey because he can't stop. There's a whole backstory to this, which they recapped pretty nicely. But this is so weird. Go watch Being the Elite if you haven't. It's a great YouTube series, and Shows this whole thing about Hangman Page getting rid of his boots because they have blood on him and it haunts him and it talks to It's, It's weird, and this match is weird. Because uh, Cracker Barrel is one of the sponsors for the show, and they freaking had an actual Cracker Barrel involved in the match, including a spot where I believe it was uh, Page jumped over it like like in Donkey Kong. It's silly. This There was a bunch of stupid... You know, sp- spots too, including one of the believers, Joey Janela, getting power bombed off the stage through two tables, but totally missed them. And the ending being a rite of passage off the top of a ladder through a table. Because fuck, it's, it's a backward pile driver, guys. Come on. This match was dangerous and reckless, and I loved it. I hate to say that I loved it, but I did. And then afterward, with a bunch of penis druids, Joey Ryan rose from the dead and got his revenge. And there's gifts everywhere on the internet. You, you, you've probably seen it. It's it's magical. Wrestling is good, guys. Then we had Flip Gordon with Brandy going after the ROH World Championship against Jay Lethal. Who had Lanny Poffo with him because, hey, huge black machismo. Because, oh, oh yeah. Dig it. And it was really goofy. He did all of Macho Man's mannerisms. He was chasing after Brandy like she was Miss Elizabeth. And even did the spot where he put her on his shoulder. It, it was funny. But also, apparently if you, uh, like slap him on his shoulder, it'll either trigger or untrigger Black Machismo, which happened in the match, and it was it was fun. Was it really like worthy of an ROH World Championship match? And kinda like a weird thing to have on this card, but it was it was entertaining. Of course Flipgord didn't win the title. They lethal hit the, hit the lethal injection and got the win. Then Kenny Omega fought Penta L Zero, aka Pentagon, aka that crazy hardcore guy from Impact, and 
A lot of people going into this match were wondering how their styles would work with each other. And let me just say, it fucking worked great. This match was real good. Kenny Omega is still, you know, the best bout machine, even though they kept calling him the cleaner during the show. And, uh, Penta broke his arm. Because it's what he does. Which I think it's weird because people stopped selling it in the middle of the match for some reason. As if broken arms don't really matter. But yeah, it was a, it was a high impact match. It went about 18 minutes. It's one you should go out of your way to, to watch. Which I guess is, is up on uh, New Japan World now, so it's you can't actually go back and watch it. This was a this was a real good one. This was well. If it wasn't for the uh, NWA title match, this would probably be my match of the night. Uh, Ke- Kenny won, by the way, because he's the, the the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. So, yeah. This wasn't on the level of Omega's matches with uh, Tomohiro Ishii that he had at um, the G1, but it was still a very, very good match, and it was fun to watch these two compete. What was a little less fun to watch was Okada versus Mari Skrull. I mean, it was good because Okada did his Rainmaker entrance again instead of the shitty balloons, because that's what you wanted to see at All In, was him as with the robe and everything. But yeah, this match was a bit slow. It went 26 minutes. Didn't really need to. Uh, okay. uh, Skrull did have some fun spots, including uh, countering the Rainmaker by using his umbrella. And he also broke Akata's fingers, which, again, recovered quickly because that's how it works. But it wasn't quite enough as Okada was able to pick up the victory. Because he's freaking Okada. And Mario Scroll is a cruiserweight. But, well, you know, junior heavyweight, but, you know, he kept doing 205 at him. You get it. Yeah, the match was really long, though. So people think it went way over time, and was why the, the main event was so rushed, but in an interview uh, this week, Morris Girl said that that was not the case, that was the time they were given, and uh, the Bucks told them not to cut anything from it, so there you go. Don't 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 get mad at Skrull for this. Because the main event was real rushed. Between the Golden Elite, which are the Young Bucks and Kota Ibushi, fighting uh, Rey Mysterio, Rey Phoenix, and uh, Bandito. Because, here's the thing, this was on pay-per-view, this was not on a network or a streaming service where you can go overtime. When it hits 11, you're off the air. And they did every spot they wanted to do in the match real fast. And we got to see some Ibushi versus uh, Mysterio, and I want more of that. But also, it went very fast. What was funny is that a guy actually, like, you could hear loudly during the match that they had to go home at 11, because, yeah. I was fully aware of this. I was, I was informing people, I was watching with I'm like, this match has, like, no time left. They need to go. And go they did. 
Except for the part where the Young Bucks had the pin and then Phoenix broke it up because... What the fuck you doing, dude? Show's gotta end. So they just quickly set up another Meltzer driver, hit that, and then get the win. And the commentary, in mids, like while saying their sign off, were fading out because they had three seconds left when they went off. Wow. So yeah, you got your all your money's worth because you got a full three-hour show. But jeez, cutting it close. I also want to point out that that commentary of Don Callis, Excalibur, and Ian Riccoboni were phenomenal. Some of the best uh, you know, North American commentary I've ever heard. Huge kudos to them. I really hope that if something comes out of all this, these these three are involved. So yeah, go go watch it. If you're if you're a wrestling fan, why you, and you didn't watch All In, what, what are you doing? Go go watch it on New Japan World, or I guess you can order it somewhere too. I don't know. I'm not the marketing guy. But yeah, that was all in. Good stuff. Now, I, I did warn you this was gonna be a, a long show. We we haven't even gotten into the weekly TV, which we're gonna get into now. I'm kind of just going to combine Raw and SmackDown. Because, you know, they're kind of okay after this past weekend. So let's uh, let's, let's talk about Raw first. Monday Night Raw. Uh, the main storyline that happened on the show was The Shield attacking Braun Strowman and uh, Ziggler and McIntyre at the, at the top and getting arrested. And... Because I don't know what universe they live in. I guess in the WWE universe, you can be arrested and have a trial in front of a judge like within an hour or two. They got prosecuted. I don't know. This made no sense. But uh, Finn Balor and Baron Corbin were going to be in the main event. But instead they swapped out Braun Strowman who beat, beat Finn because, of course, Finn the Human is garbage, as we all know. And then the S.H.I.E.L.D. showed back up when Sailor McIntyre and Braun were going to beat up Finn after the match. Because I don't fucking know. You apparently can get out of jail real fast, too. I don't know how any of this works. Like, seriously, I can we have, like, a written set of rules of how... Like, the world works in WWE outside of, like, the actual wrestling parts, like the bell ringing. Like, you can get a court case in the, within a couple hours and get released. Um, you can go to a part of another person's house and assault them, and you don't get arrested then? I, 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 I don't, I don't know. Wrestling? I need Vince to help help explain the rules of your universe. I don't get it. But yeah, all this was done to try to get people to hate Braun, and it's not working because Braun Strowman's real good. Braun Strowman is amazing. I don't know why they keep taking these baby faces that everyone loves and trying to make them into 
people that we hate. Because it's not working. The crowd still loves Braun. They don't like Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is still the the big dog, and he's got the he's got the red belt, which is now on the TV. But that's not enough. I I don't know what you're doing. Speaking of weird, th- by the way, if you see the show notes, which you can get for a dollar a month over at Patreon.cool, which that's an actual functioning URL. All my raw notes have question marks at the end of them. Because I'm confused what is going on with this show. Shawn Michaels came out to help promote the uh, the Big Australia show. And his buddy Triple H and Undertaker fighting. Because they had that whole end of an era match. Like a long time ago. And the era still hasn't ended. Because we're doing this match again. But yeah, he was talking about... Uh, the match, and then The Undertaker showed up unannounced, because I mean, they really gotta push this Australia show, despite the fact hey, we also have Hell in a Cell that that, that, that shouldn't that be the priority, since that's, the, that's what's next the Hell in a Cell the, the, pay, the actual pay-per-view, not that big house show in the, the Australia, no? Okay, fine whatever, let's do it we had Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, you know, kind of shit-talking each other. And Shawn Michaels explained that, yeah, you retired me, and I've stayed re- retired because I respect you. And I've been he's been offered all these matches, and he hasn't taken them because he respects The Undertaker. But... Whoopsies! Undertaker s- straight-up says that he, the only reason he's staying retired is because he's afraid of Shawn Michaels, which I guess is setting up an Undertaker-Shawn Michaels match, which we don't need another one of. And also, why are you promoting this match when you're promoting the Triple H-Undertaker match? What is happening? Is Shawn Michaels not retiring? Is this just the, the, uh, the, the Stone Cold Brock Lesnar thing again, where they just accidentally promote a match that we're not going to get? It was weird. I would love to hear an explanation of if if, if all that part was planned or if they just kind of went off the rails and went into business for themselves because I guess Undertaker and Shawn Michaels is a pretty big match, but also Shawn Michaels should stay retired. Just ask Ric Flair. Oh wait, he kept wrestling after he retired and now he almost died. Ah. Here's another note for Raw that I have a big question mark about. Uh, Drake Maverick is the manager of the Authors of Pain. You know Drake Maverick, uh, Rockstar Spud from Impact, the guy who's the wears the nice suits and is the general manager of 205 Live, the show that we don't acknowledge exists, outside of Drew Gulak apparently sometimes existing. Which, by the way... Drew Gulak was part of the attack on the shield after they showed up uh, after being in jail. Because apparently the whole locker room decided to beat him up for reasons. And Drew Gulak was one of them because he gets to exist outside the Cruiserweight division, maybe? Hopefully? 
I like Drew Gulak. But Drake Maverick appearing here in the SWAT gear of the Altars of Pain was so stupid. Don't get me wrong, I think the relationship of him being their manager and their and their uh, mouthpiece is brilliant, because he's a great talker, he's got lots of personality, and ever since losing Paul Ellering, the Altars of Pain have been kind of nothing, since they can't talk. But having him wear the outfit really takes a lot out of it and makes it all the attention drawn to him and how like silly it is. It makes it kind of like a comedy act, which it shouldn't be. The Authors of Pain are a bunch of badass giant men who kill everything. So having Drake like go back to wearing the suits and just you know cutting some serious promos would be excellent. Maybe move him out of the two or five live general manager position. You know, probably like. I would say Rey Mysterio goes there, but that'd be a real waste of him. I don't know who you would put in his place. Maybe just don't have a general manager for that show. Or have Paige just fill in. I, I, I don't know. Drake Maverick can't do both roles, and also he needs to get rid of the SWAT outfit. It's dumb. But I do like the idea of having them paired up. And uh, I mentioned Ziggler and McIntyre earlier. They also not only did they uh, pair up with Ron Strowman and lead to the Shield, you know, getting arrested and then their asses kicked. They also beat up the Revival, who had a title shot for, against the B team tonight uh, on Monday night. And because Baron Corbin, the acting GM and also an asshole, he rewarded them by putting them in the title match. To which they beat the B-team and won the belts out of nowhere. I, th I think it's a good move to give the belts to a team that actually matters. Like, is not a comedy act that, you know, can't be taken seriously? Like, moving the tag division out of being a bunch of goofs and being some actual, like, stars and having serious matches not the worst thing in the world. Only problem is, if you look at the current division, it's the B team, it's the Ascension, it's when they're healthy, it's Brazongo, Titus Worldwide, I, th I think they're still together. Like, the only other serious team is the Revival. Because the leaders of Worlds aren't a thing anymore, because Matt Hardy is pretty much retired. So I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not sure. Like, do we start seeing new teams forming? Because that would be excellent. We did kind of see that with uh, Bobby Roode and Chad Gable, but from the looks of things, it looks like that's gonna not last long with Roode and, and Gable like not seeing eye to eye with their one one upsmanship they were doing. Yeah, I'll be interested to see where the division goes from here now that we have new champions. But uh, that's all I have to really talk about Raw. If there's anything from the show that uh, I missed that you want me to talk about, just let me know in the chat and I will 
I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, circle back around to it. But let's let's talk about SmackDown because if you don't know, previous to uh, being on my own, I used to be the SmackDown editor for ProWrestling.Cool. So I love me some SmackDown, and there's a few things that I really enjoyed on this episode. And one thing I kind of didn't like, which is might be shocking. They had a, an interview, like kind of like a split-screen interview, because they can't be in the same room together, between uh, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair, to talk about the attacks and what's going on with these two. And it ended up with the... Uh, Charlotte Flair, like, kind of calling Becky out for attacking her and saying, well, you know, if you would have just asked me after the match and congratulate me, I would have given you a title shot. And Becky saying, uh, fuck that. No thanks. I don't need to ask Her Majesty for a hand me like, kind of a handout when she works her ass off to get what she wants and then it just gets stolen from her because Charlotte Flair's Charlotte Flair. And she always has to get the spotlight. She always gets the opportunities just handed to her. And the crowd was super into Becky. Because of course they are. She's badass. She called Charlotte a bitch last week. It's awesome. This attitude's only made her cooler. And yet they still are trying to paint her as the villain. Like, just don't change anything with Becky. Let her be the badass she is. But let Charlotte be the heel that she should be. Let her be with her silver spoon in her mouth. Let her be the the asshole with all the money. Like, she's a flair for crying out loud. So they announced that these two have a match at Hell in a Cell. And because the Australia show is also happening, they announced today they're having a match at that too so I, I that's fine I guess it, it, it makes it weird that you're going to have the two matches because one of them won't matter and one of them will and we don't know which one that is because I feel like Becky should win the belt in one of them it's a shame that this isn't going to be inside Hell in a Cell but it should still be a pretty vicious match with Becky being the way she is now. Uh, Samoa Joe last week mentioned that he was going to go visit the Styles, and I started putting my fancy booking hat on and coming up with, oh, they should you know fight around the house and go through a window and you know it'd be fun. Samoa Joe was in the arena this week because fuck me. He fooled me. This was all a ruse to get Styles to go home and be a family man, as he should be. Samoa Joe's a damn genius, and I can't believe I fell for it. Man, when's the last time a heel actually fooled the audience like that? It's pretty good. Samoa Joe's pretty good. He's also an asshole, but he's pretty good. So yeah, he talked a bunch of shit about... Him being the one that makes Styles care about his family and actually be with them on a Tuesday night. And that he's going to take the belt so he can just stay there. 
except AJ Styles doesn't really care about his family. He's just a, a short-tempered, obsessed little man who was in the arenas as well and attacked Samoa Joe with a chair. What, what does this say about AJ Styles? That there was an actual threat for his family's like well-being, and yet he was still in the arena on Tuesday night. Was he calling Joe's bluff? Did he know him well enough? Or did he just, you know, not care and just take a a risk by being there? I'm not sure, but I don't think it paints Styles as the undying hero that we want him to be. Kinda, it's kind of kind of right off the deep end. Which, you know, we already have that kind of story going going on in NXT, but this one involving family, it's it's different enough that I think it works. It's it. I just don't 100% back AJ Styles on this one. I think he's taking this a little too far. Which, granted, Samoa Joe's also taking it very far. But Styles should answer like handle this in a much better way than he is because he's not he's not doing a great job. We had the second triple threat tag team match to determine who's going to be in the number one contenders match for an opportunity at the new day at Hell in a Cell, and it was between Sanity, who had this. Blue and red outfits that were not great. Like Killing Dane was in a single. Killing Dane was in a singlet, and it looked weird. Like these were supposed to be like these punk, like European punk monsters, and they're kind of just dudes now with an entrance. I, I didn't like it, uh, but we also had the Usos. Who are, you know, one of the best tag teams on SmackDown. And Rusev Day. The underdogs that everyone wants to cheer for. Yet, for the most part, we're not allowed to. Though, I guess recently, now that English and Rusev are together, we can start cheering for them again. But yeah, I really expected the Usos to pull out the win here. But, in a surprise move, they gave it to Rusev Day. They're they're giving the people what they want. They want they want they want to cheer for Rusev. Rusev deserves a belt. Maybe we're gonna get one. Probably not though. Interesting note was that the New Day were not on commentary for this match like they were last week. I I wonder why. I'm guessing Xavier was busy at Dragon Con over the weekend. And they let him just have the week off. Not not sure. He should have been at PAX West, if we're, you know, being serious. He should have participated in that show. But, yeah, now it's the the bar taking on Rusev Day for the shot at the New Day at Hell in a Cell. And, I, this could go one of two ways. I mean, obviously, because there's two teams, but what I mean by that is that they announced that the bar have a title shot against the New Day 
at the Australia show. Which is a weird thing to announce before they're fighting for a title shot at Hell in a Cell. So either they get two title shots, a la Becky Lynch, or Rusev Day wins this one, and then they both get title shots, making all this pointless. And then, of course, the New Day beats both of them. Either way, announcing that match for Australia right before this number one contenders match was a really dumb move on their part. And really, it just takes a lot of the steam out of the engine that is the tag team division. Speaking of people having no steam, uh, Naomi was set to face Peyton Royce again because she keeps losing to the Iconics. Except this time she won. Because reasons? But it didn't sit well with the Iconics, so they just beat the shit out of her until Asuka showed up, who we hadn't seen since her feud with Ellsworth and Carmella. She's kind of just not been used, and now she's being used to be buddies with Naomi. Because reasons? I mean, it's good that we have multiple storylines in the women's division. Out, you know, because it shouldn't always be about the title, because, you know, it wasn't long ago that we just had several multi-women matches over the months to fight for the belt instead of, you know, people branching out and having their own thing to do. But still not a great use of Asuka. To be fair, I don't know what a great use of Asuka is anymore outside of, the, of going for the title. Which she should not be doing right now because of the current storyline going on there. And I, I wrote about this in About Last Night, which is my uh, SmackDown column I write every week over at ProWrestling.cool. But I feel like the cynical answer to this is they're having multiple women's storylines because Evolution is coming up and they have to fill a show. With a bunch of matches, so might as well start building. I mean, like, this match is also happening at the Australia show, too, because everything's happening at the Australia show. Samoa Joe and AJ Styles are fighting at the, at the Australia show. I, I, I bet John Cena's gonna wrestle at the Australia show and use that weird backhanded fist move that he has. Everything's happening there. And then uh, the last thing about SmackDown I want to discuss is that uh, R-Truth may be the smartest person on the show. He keeps doing this weird thing where he's uh, trying to beat Carmella for to earn a title shot because that pretty much seemed to be the way things went recently with Becky and uh, Charlotte. But, uh... Yeah, he uses this uh, kind of aloof aloofness because I, I, it's revealed that he actually knows what he's doing. I, th I think by approaching Maurice and thinking and trying to say that she's Carmella to get her to talk shit about actual Carmella, and also piss off the Miz to lead to a match. Which the backstory of that is. Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella called out The Miz to start the show, and then 
oops, there's video of The Miz and Maurice calling out Danny Bryan and Bree hours before the show in an empty arena, which, of course, wasn't answered, and they left. Which led to a match with Andrade Cien Almas and Danny Bryan, which was very good, but also we don't need to have this match over and over again when it's not on a big stage. I'd, I'd like to see this match, like, with some actual focus and storyline down the road. But then that led to Bree and Brian leaving to go after the Miz and Maurice, which was a trap. It's that this is my problem with the storyline with the Miz and uh, Daniel Bryan on SmackDown this week is that it was so convoluted, and it took the entire show, and it wasn't very good. Like this feud is excellent, like with the video packages and the actual storytelling. But just doing this garbage and wasting a bunch of time on a show that's only two hours and could be used on, like, actual, like, good talent. Not not, not crazy about it. So, from there, we have our truth end up getting a match because, like, again, this is so convoluted. Paige said that The Miz and Murray's had to stay in the arena, and The Miz had to have a match against someone who wants to fight him in the show, because I I don't know. And now R-Truth got it, and then used the thing that Maurice said to get actual Carmella to be in his corner. R-Truth somehow worked around all this bullshit and ended up having a main event match on SmackDown against The Miz. And due to Danny Bryan interference, actually won it. What? What in the world? This is a thing I'm saying in 2018. The R-Truth won a main event on SmackDown. Sh- sure. Anything's possible in the land of opportunity, I guess. But yeah, he somehow sneaked his way into this bullshit... Daniel Bryan missed storyline of the night and got a huge win. So that's good for him. I love R-Truth ever since he came back on SmackDown. He's been great. Ty Dillinger's been great. Not so sure about him saying that Kid Rock line. Though they were in Detroit, so I guess it works. But still. Eh. And there you go. R-Truth. The, the, the top star of SmackDown Live for this week. That's all I got for SmackDown, unless uh, anyone has anything out that I missed, which I, I don't really think I missed anything of value on SmackDown. I think I covered all the, the key points. So if that's all for that, then uh, we can move on over Talk about NXT, which aired tonight. One of two shows that aired tonight on the WWE Network. So let's get down to it. Kajizono versus Kona Reeves was our opener. Because I don't like either of these people. Why do you have to make me suffer? Uh... I wrote here that Kona Reeves still thinks he's the finest. 
hard disagree. Uh, the match didn't last long, fortunately, because uh, while Kona Reeves had some pretty good offense in the match, uh, Zono is a knockout artist, and he's got this forearm that he kills people with. So he he, he did that. He did the, the thing with his arm where he kills people and won. And then he cut a promo afterward, which only translated as him saying, I'm in NXT because I'm here to job to new talent. I'm I'm what Tyler Breeze used to be. Except I'm not nearly as good as Tyler Breeze. And I don't deserve better. Sure. I know some people like Hatchazono, I'm just... Eh. He's kind of whatever, but if he stays in this role, I guess that's fine. There could be worse opponents for the the new up-and-coming stars. Then, we had the Forgotten Sons, who are Steve Cutler and Wesley Blake, who were joined by Jackson Reichert, who's a, who's a new guy. Kind of like, weird jean jackets. I think they're like, mechanic biker. I are, are they bikers? They don't have motorcycles. I'm not sure what their deal is. I guess they're just people that people that uh, the bookers forgot, so they put them together. But they fought the street profits, and the street profits are great. And that's the first note I actually wrote. I said the street profits are still great. So there you go. There was a spot where Wesley Blake got tagged in and then Montez Ford ate like this really gross clothesline where I'm pretty sure he was dead afterward. And uh, the match was fine until uh, the Mighty showed up in in ski masks and decided to steal Montez Ford's magic uh, solo cup because they're assholes. We know it's the Mighty one because of course it was and two... Montez unmasked one of them on the way out. And it, and he got attacked when the referee wasn't looking. Got back in the ring and took the loss. So the Mighty and the Street Profits still have unfinished business. Which I'm fine with. I like both those teams. And it gave the, uh, the Forgotten Sons a good momentum boost. Which I guess they're getting pushed into being a thing now. Sure. I, ju- I just would like to know what they are. Uh, we had our first of two uh, investigations with William Regal talking to Heavy Machinery, and what we learn is that Oda Stozovic did it. And by it, I mean he broke the toilet in the Performance Center. It, it, it was fun. This was a fun segment. They... Heavy machinery are funny. They provided some video of the uh, of the incident, and it was it was it was fun. We get a video of uh, backstage last week with uh, Pete Dunn and Ricochet arguing about their loss, and continuing the story that the commentary were mentioning of, hey, these guys won each other's belts because they're both be- got belts. And in two weeks, it's going to be champion versus champion. Uh, Nigel, the way Nigel spoke on commentary, 
It sounds like both belts are on the line, which I don't see happening. This has to be a non-title match. Because if it's title versus title, then clearly it's going to be, you know, Undisputed Era interfering and causing a disqualification. Because you're not going to double down on belts on someone. It just wouldn't make sense. Then we had Kyrie Sane taking on Trish Adora. Trish Adora is a kind of, not like heavy, but like a larger woman, like taller, strong, like muscular. I think she had like she. Had, I don't want to get into what her outfit was. It's hard to hard to describe, and I might get in trouble if I say it wrong. Either way, Kyrie Sane. Uh, got the win because of course she did. She's faster than the larger person and hit the insane elbow. Kind of a squash match. The setup for Shayna Baszler coming out and saying well, number one, she knocked over uh, Kyrie Sane's treasure chest full of gold, which was on the stage because she's an asshole. And saying that she's going to invoke her rematch clause at some point. And come get that belt back. But uh, as for tonight, she's just going to beat the shit out of her. Except Kyrie Sane's got the belt so she has all the power. And outstriked Shayna Baszler and, and knocked her to the outside. What? Sure. Kyrie Sane's now like super powered. And now it's Shayna Baszler who's on the defensive. It didn't seem that believable to me, but that's the story they're going with. We had Lars Sullivan investigated. Uh, he he apologized for not mentioning that he was med- medically cleared when he killed EC3. And he says that if he had killed Alistair Black, he would have still been standing over him. And Alistair Black would be out longer than he currently is. So Regal ends up making Lars versus Raul Mendoza for next week, and R.I.P. Raul. Then we got to the main event with Johnny Gargano taking on the Velveteen Dream. And they gave this match a lot of time, like close to 20 minutes. Dream came out wearing a Johnny Gargano shirt except that he taped over the part where it said wrestling and he wrote failure. Playing off the thing that he said last week. And god damn, during the match, we had dueling chants of Johnny wrestling and Johnny failure. Because the crowd is turned on this, on this guy. They are not a fan of asshole Johnny Gargano, the one that's turning into... Champa, which I don't blame them. Not been great. Early on in the match, Johnny seemed to be tapping into that rage that's been causing him matches. But then he kind of cooled off and went back to like being good at wrestling. Uh, Dream targets Johnny's knee and smashes it into the steps. Then he hit a DDT into the ring while, he, or while they were in the ring and only got two count. That was a good near fall, playing on Johnny's injury from TakeOver. Uh, 
Plank, again, taking it from TakeOver. Dream tried to do that elbow off the top rope onto the apron. But Johnny moved out of the way, and oh, God, Dream's arm is dead. He, 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 he broke it. Johnny puts uh, puts him in the Gargano escape on the outside. To which the referee goes, you can't win out here. What, what, what are you doing? And starts counting him out. He gets a six and snaps out of it, gets back in the ring. Dream gets in at nine. And Dream is ye- is pissed. He's yelling at Gargano that he's a failure. He's always been a failure. Uh, Johnny starts getting real raged. Moves, slides his, uh, his knee pad down and goes to, for a running knee. Except it, it was a trap. Dream turned into a, uh, a spinning uh, Dream Valley driver and got the win. Just played him like a damn fiddle. Uh, as Johnny was sitting on the apron trying to collect himself and figure out what's wrong with him, Kai was doing the dueling chant again because, damn, there's, they, they quickly turned on Johnny. That's not good. And then as he went to leave, they, they started singing the goodbye song because, God, man, this crowd was so mean. Damn, Full Sail. Get your act together. But that that's it for NXT. Jeez. Story of that is... Johnny Failure is real. Dang. But uh, that's not it for the show, because... Uh, there's still, there was another thing that aired on the WWE Network, and is the reason that the show is late. And why we're trying to get through it a little quicker because it's much later. The May Young Classic starts. So get excited to have this for the next couple months. Or month and a half. I guess it's kind of a couple months because the, the conclusion is at Evolution. And that's at the end of October, I think. Anyway. On tonight's episode, four matches. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break them down a bit, tell you what I liked, and my impressions of these women as they uh, are making... Most of them are making their debut. Oh, by the way, the commentary team was uh, Michael Cole, Renee Young, and uh, Beth Phoenix. First time two women on commentary. They did a pretty good job, except the part where... We got a whole lot, bunch of wow, ooh. Instead of like actually calling action, I'm sure I'm sure they improved later on. But yeah, first match: Tegan Knox versus Zatara. Uh, Zatara is the first Chilean woman to get to WWE. Tegan Knox, she hits hard. She was supposed to be in the tournament uh, last year. But then she got injured, which played into this match because she had that big old knee brace. And uh, because of that knee brace, uh, Zatara spent a bunch of the match attacking it. And it looked bad. So, you know, strikes, you know, getting her into the corner, wrapping her 
her ankle up into the ropes, hit hang submission holds. It was brutal. But then Knox uh, got on the offense and uh, did did some moves that probably wouldn't be the best for your knee, like doing a, a you know hitting someone in the face with your knee or jumping off the top rope. But unlike some people that will be named nameless on from the G one, she actually like sold the fact that that this really hurt her and was not good, but also was you know a risk she was willing to take since she was doing damage to her opponent. And uh, they mentioned before the match that Tegan Knox has the shiniest wizard. And she got to show it because she hit the Shining Wizard and picked up the win to move on. So, it's a good story for her. For now. Because reports came out that it was hard to avoid. Even though I avoid most spoilers for the tournament. That's, you know, I don't think this is going to be a happy ending for uh, for Tegan Knox, Which is a shame because she's really talented. Then... We got a match involving one of my favorite people from last year's May Young Classic, Rhea Ripley, taking on MJ Jenkins. Rhea Ripley thinks she made a fool of herself last year, and now she's a darker and better version of herself. She, she wears, like, black now, kind of like a biker look, like badass. She was the youngest person in the tournament last year, and, you know, she's got a year under her belt of being at the Performance Center, so she she, she improved. Uh, MJ Jenkins, she's from Brooklyn, and she describes herself as Afrolicious. And uh, the first thing I point out from the match is that I like MJ's swagger. She's got a lot of personality to her. You know, she comes in the ring dancing. It's, you know, infectious. Uh, Triple H apparently tweeted before the tournament that Rhea Ripley is uh, one to watch. The crowd is also behind her because they were chanting for her from the get-go. However, she's not, she doesn't give a shit, and she does not give a shit about shaking hands, because they shake the hands before the matches in this tournament, but Rhea Ripley had said, nah, I'm good. Commentary brought up that uh, Rhea is pissed that people keep comparing her to Charlotte and calling her Charlotte 2.0. And she's like, no, I just want to be Rhea... I want to be Rhea Ripley. I want to be my own person. So, fuck that. Just because I'm a tall blonde that's very athletic. I don't need to be compared to Charlotte. Which, I don't blame her. Charlotte, not the best person to be compared to. Uh, Rhea overpowers MJ with her size and strength throughout the match. But then finally, towards the end, MJ just screams out a battle cry and just kind of powers up and just goes on a tear. Kind of like a hot tag happened with herself, and she just cleaned house. But unfortunately, once Rhea got to her senses, she hit a pump handle powerbomb and just ended it. Rhea Ripley moves on. She's excellent. Then, we had Vanessa Craven against Lacey Lane. 
Vanessa is known as the Mountain. And she lures people into a, a false sense of security. She loves to chop. And uh, playtime is now, she said. And the reason she calls her the mount they call her the mountain is she is very tall. She's a very tall lady. She is 6'2, 200 pounds. Lacey Lane is the opposite. She's a very petite girl. And uh she wants to prove that, that women can do whatever men can. And she's also from Winter Park, which is where Full Sail is. So this was a hometown match for her. First thing I mention, I write down about this match is, Oh God, Vanessa has a hood with horns. She's a, she's a devil lady. She should also be on the poster for Hell in a Cell. Uh... Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Vanessa get, gets on the offense and uh, starts hitting those chops. And uh, Jesus, those chops are nasty. She hits them real hard, and it's not pleasant to watch or listen to. Uh, Lane keeps kicking out because she's running on pure heart, and the crowd is behind her and cheering her on. You know, she's the big underdog. She's doing her best, but. Not really able to move this big monster of a person with her moves. Until she finally wears her down. And out of nowhere just hits a crucifix bomb. And damn, she gets the win. David beat Goliath. The hometown girl wins. And it was excellent. This was a very, you know, this was a, a actual legit surprise. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad, because I think she was impressive, and I liked her dreadlocks and her green eyes, and she, I think they could do something with her. They mentioned she signed a uh, a deal with WWE to work in the performance center, so hopefully something comes of it. Then we get to the main event, which is my favorite match of the night, because oh boy. Uh, Maiko, Miko, Mikos, Satomura versus Killer Kelly. Uh, what's awesome is that for, uh, Miko's video, they have footage of her wrestling on WCW Nitro. Because she has been doing this thing for quite a while, and she's kind of known as a legend in Japan. She's back here to, uh, make a bigger impact this time around in the, in North America, so she she sure does. Killer Kelly is the first Portuguese woman to wrestle in WWE and she has a nasty dragon sleeper and kicks. I point out that Michael Cole asks Renee and Beth that they're excited for what's to come and yells, it's Miko time or Miko time and then Killer Kelly comes out instead. Because they did it in the wrong order. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, they mentioned that uh, Miko is known as the final boss in Japan. And she's a master of Joshi Strong Style. And I was already on board. It's all you need to tell me. Strong Style is shit. She's from Japan. She watched New Japan growing up. Perfect. 
And it delivered. Because Killer Kelly surprisingly got the the advantage on the offense with a bunch of strikes. Then Sushi kind of like let a little opening happen. Uh, Miko starts using these really vicious looking submissions and t- twisting up her legs and oh Jesus. Like I heard about Strawsaw, I didn't know she was also like submission style. Like she was twisting her up as a pretzel. And then, then the strikes came in. She started, you know, having wrist control and just kicking the shit out of her as hard as she can. And oh boy, it looked look it looked like Killer Kelly was having a real bad time. She was not enjoying herself. And I, oh boy, I the bad thing is that I was totally on board with this because I I look. If if you've heard my coverage of New Japan, I am very much into the strong style matches. I just enjoy watching people beat the shit out of each other. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, the kicks and the wrist control, Jesus. Uh, Biko does a cartwheel into a double like leg, like kind of like just dig both of her legs into uh, Kelly's spine. And, like, didn't do it lightly. Like, actually hit her full force in the back. And, oh, man. I don't know how old this lady is. But, yeah, she earned her title of being a final boss. Because, man, she just was flying around the ring, hitting the hardest strikes. Got all these great submissions. She might be one of my favorites in the tournaments. Out of the eight people I saw. I I like Rhea Ripley a lot. But this this lady is special. Uh, Kelly did get her uh, dragon sleeper on the uh, on the, the top rope, as they showed in the video package, which are like draping her. But because you're in the ropes, uh, there's a count of five, so she had to break it up. So it wasn't it, it did damage, but it wasn't a submission. You you weren't going to get the win off that. I then just simply write one of my note bullets as this match fucking rules. Cause the crowd also chants this is awesome and yeah. Sure is. Uh Miko hit, ended up getting the win with the Death Valley driver. And I am excited to see more of her. She was great. This 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 is a match that if if you're not gonna watch all the matches in the Mayon Classic out of the four that we saw tonight, that's the main event's the one you wanna watch. It entered that spot. It was just mwah, delightful. And I guess that's that's it for heel turn. I, I got I got through everything. It's not super late. I did it. This is a production of Pro Wrestling Cool. It's not just cool. It's dot cool. It's a real website. Make sure you follow the website. Because on there we have my weekly SmackDown article. Uh, we have statistics where we track all the wins and losses for wrestlers in the WWE. Heads up that tournaments like the Mayon Classic do not count toward that, so don't worry. Um, we also, hopefully, we have our hot takes coming back this month. Our pal, we, we've given our pal Michael a bit of the summer off to, you know. 
refuel the oven. Get get it piping hot again, because wrestling is in a real interesting spot right now, and I'd love to hear more of his takes about that. Also, of course, the podcast is on there, which it's also on zonecast.com, which if you haven't visited, that's where our sister podcasts, The Takes Bakery, and I'd Rather Not Live. They're two goofy podcasts that I'm on, and the people I'm with are entertaining. So make sure you check those out. Uh, we have a Facebook. If uh, go to facebook.com slash pwdotc, or just search for prowrestling.cool, you can like us there. We post all our stuff. Uh, Twitter, at the Heel Turn and at pwdotc are our two Twitters that we have. Um, our Patreon, of course, which you can go to patreon.cool. It's not just cool to pay us money, it's dot cool. And, uh, anything you, uh, you're able to help chip in to help us run the website is greatly appreciated, because running all this stuff by yourself, it's not easy, turns out. Go figure. But yeah, for as little as a dollar a month, you can get all the show notes for Heel Turn. And then some bonus stuff as well. If you subscribe at the $9.99 tier, you get a bonus podcast every month. This month, me and Trace will be back covering all three nights of the uh, Destruction Tour for New Japan. Should be fun. Good to have another chat about those cards with my pal Trace who's live in New Japan by way of Seattle you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore ozone I I looked at the statistics on my Twitter recently which was a mistake and I keep losing people because apparently I'm not good at Twitter go go figure go, go, go check it out and judge for yourself but yeah that's it that's it for heel. Oh, oh, also, a new thing that we post the video version of this podcast on YouTube on Fridays. So search for ProWrestling.Cool on YouTube and subscribe to us there. Because, I don't know, I, I'd like to give you extra options to enjoy the podcast. And we had this YouTube channel that we weren't doing anything with, so there you go. That's it. We'll be back next week. We're still gonna have the main. Let's see. What's what's, what's next? All right. Good. The the uh, the mix. The, the MMC does not start yet, so I'll just only have the main classic added to my load. But we'll be back next week with more wrestling talk. Thanks again for tuning in, and uh, until next time. This podcast is a part of the Zonecast Network, produced and edited by Owen Douglas. Find more of our shows at zonecast.com.